Good morning. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to get up here and say, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and guess what? The Cowboys are playing. <laughs> yeah, miracles. I still believe in miracles. <laughs> I mean, how many of you are going to be grateful if the Niners win? How many of you are going to be grateful if Kansas City wins? Oh, hey, look at that. So we got Pat Mahomes people here, right? All right. Well, hey, Texas boy, right? So we're, we're all in. Uh, listen, thank you for being here today. Um, you know, it, it is a busy day, but it is the first day of the week. And the most important thing uh, that we believe that you can do as a human being is to come into the presence of God every day, but on the first day of the week with all our brothers and sisters and just say, thank you, God, for everything. Thank you. Jesus for, for saving us. Thank you, Spirit, for living inside of us. If, if you're uh, with us for the first time today, maybe live streaming, my name is Mark, and uh, I'm one of the staff members here, and I would love, I really, truly would love to have an opportunity to meet you today. And so if you go out these doors at the end of our worship time, there's a green wall off to the right, and it says, welcome, we're glad you're here. I'll be standing over there, and I would love for you to come by and, and to introduce yourself, to introduce your kids to me. Uh, I, we, we're so grateful that you're here. We're grateful that you brought your family and your kids are here. And one of the things that I hope you experience when you come uh, to this church family is that you, you sense that this is a place where you belong. Um, we are not perfect. We are Christian, which means that we in no way believe we're perfect. We believe, though, that we have been forgiven. And we believe that we need to be forgiven. And not only forgiven of, uh, you know, the dark side of the force that lives in all of us, but we also need for there to be a, a power, God's Holy Spirit, that comes into us. And I wish I could give you the nuts and bolts on that, but... Uh, we, I believe that it is true, and I think we experience it through space and time, that that power comes into us and changes us from the people we were when we were, 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 were struggling with that dark life and to become the kind of people we were always meant to be, people that look like Jesus. And if you're interested in, in learning more how to do that, I, you know, meet me at that green wall. I'd love to talk to you about what has changed my life and changed the life of so many people in this room and, and how that change, that blessing, that, that, that light that comes to shine in your life, the, 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 the power that comes and changes you into a person that, of, of love and of patience and of kindness and gentleness and self-control and so many other different ways, how that could be uh, your experience as well. Uh, I'm also going to invite you to pull out the, the uh, insert in the bulletin on one side of it, you have the MPG. We're going to give you a verse. And MPG stands for Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. The M stands for Memorize, the P for Pray. There's a prayer exercise that uh, will help you kind of walk through what it is that we're doing today, not just in terms of, of contemplation, reflection, but how to pray through some of this as we think about gratitude. And then there is an additional exercise for you to do. Last week, uh, I hope that you started your uh, gratitude journals. Uh, this week, we're going to do a gratitude letter, and I hope everyone will participate in that. On the other side of it is a sermon outline where you can follow along this morning. 
Um, last week, as I just mentioned, we did start a study on the subject of gratitude, and it's really about a challenge. It is uh, the challenge to become a more grateful person. And so as we think about gratitude, uh, you know, one of the things that is so possible is for you to become a more grateful human being. And so think about it this way. I mean, why would you want to become a grateful person? I mean, think about maybe some of these questions. What would your life be like if you were simply more grateful? What would your life look like if you were simply more grateful? Or what impression would your life have on others if your life was marked with a spirit of generous gratitude? That you were known as a person that would say, thank you, I appreciate that. I'm so grateful. Or how would your life benefit from a greater perception of our Father's good things that are all around you, in creation, in, in the people around you, in the, in the blessings that you have not only received but have embraced in your life? Or what impact could your life have on a world in need of gratitude as never before? I mean, would you agree that the world is in need of more grateful people right now? Now, there is some research on this. In fact, Robert Emmons, who's one of the preeminent, at least in the Western world in North America, one of the preeminent uh, researchers on gratitude, he writes this, and this is modern research on gratitude. Our research has shown that grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism, and the practice of gratitude as a discipline, the practice of gratitude as a discipline protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. Gratitude is a really good thing. But you know, the Bible's been telling us that for thousands of years, right? Now, goodness, the goodness of gratitude is not modern. It is, it is an ancient wisdom. Gratitude describes what a life looks like when it is aware of God, when, when it is aware that it is living in the presence of God. That, you know, we, we talked about this with Psalm 100 last week, right? The psalmist says, he made us, we are his, we are his people, we are the sheep of his what? His pasture, right? And even over in the, so that's the Hebrew scriptures. In the Christian scriptures, you have a guy by the name of Paul, who was one of the apostles that Jesus designated to go out and to plant churches. He writes to the church in Ephesus, full of disciples of Jesus like us. He writes, always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything. Give thanks to God, the Father, for everything. He writes to the church in Colossae, this is what a disciple looks like. It's someone that's giving joyful thanks to the Father. Not just saying thank you, thank you, thank you, but joyfully saying thank you to God the Father. And then he writes to the church in Thessalonica, give thanks in all what? Circumstances, not just when, you know, it seems like everything's good. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, my friends, it is God's will that we live a life of gratitude. 
So you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to do a little gratitude assessment. Look on the middle of your outline and you'll find that gratitude assessment. It's, it, it'll take us one minute, maybe, to do the whole thing. But what I want you to do is to think of a scale of one to five. One, two, three, four, five. One means hardly ever. Five means at least most of the time to, accept, to uh, assess your gratitude quotient. So ready? First question. I have so much to be thankful for. Write a number down. Number two, I see so much to be thankful for in the world. Question three, I feel appreciation each day. Question number four, often my life is better because of the efforts of others. And then question number five, I say thank you often throughout the day. Now you've got all those numbers between one and five. Multiply each score by four and then total it up to give yourself a grade on this very Mark Absher unscientific gratitude assessment. Now regardless of where you score on that, which is on a scale of one to a hundred, regardless of where you score on that, the really positive, optimistic good news is that you can grow in gratitude. Like we talked about last week, gratitude is not based on your genetics. You either have gratitude or you don't. You can grow in gratitude as a discipline. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And there are two simple words, two verbs, or two actions that help us grow in gratitude. And those two words are these. They're up here on the screen. Recognize and acknowledge. Say those with me. Recognize and acknowledge. Well, you know, let's, let's use our, our, our Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, uh, who's the other team? <laughs> I did not admit anything right there. I had a senior moment. But with our Super Bowl, maybe, okay, maybe I am leaning one way. But with our Super Bowl voices, let's say these two words, recognize and acknowledge. When you recognize someone or something, your brain is actually in use. You are thinking, you're perceiving something, you're remembering something, you are becoming aware of something or someone in reality. And in the context of gratitude, what you're remembering is that something or someone touched your life with blessing. Your neural machinery has been put to work and that is why gratitude requires discipline. It requires, it requires thinking. And, this, and, and you know, we talked about this last week as well. This is one of the reasons why it is a discipline, because gratitude is always going to be hard work, because ingratitude is natural. The natural inclination of a human being, because of our brokenness, and in our brokenness we become prideful, and in our prideful we become entitled ingratitude is natural. I have this coming. I deserve this. Gratitude is hard work because ingratitude is natural. We need the discipline of thinking, remembering, putting the neural machinery to work, and recognizing what it is in front of us. Second word, acknowledge. That is to accept and express the existence of someone or something that's, that's right there in front of us and is happening in our midst. Now, in this case, we are acknowledging and we're recognizing and acknowledging a benefit that comes from a benefactor. 
We are recognizing that we are beneficiaries of benefits, and those benefits we're acknowledging as coming from a benefactor. Now, both of these words, recognize and acknowledge, are needed in order to build a memory of blessing to draw on on a daily basis. A gratitude life needs memory. It needs to remember. Now, remember, here are the two words, recognize and acknowledge. Think about those two words in the context of the definition I gave you last week for gratitude. Gratitude is the sense of gladness. Something good's happened. I'm glad that something good has happened. The sense of gladness that you have that a gift has been given, I've received, I recognize that, and must be acknowledged. Now, that's a little bit of a long introduction, but it's going to bring us right to the text that Greg just read to us a minute ago out of Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And in thinking about that text, we're going to see three things. The first is the giving of a gift. The second thing is recognizing and acknowledging the giver that is attached to that gift. And the last thing is the problem of ingratitude. Ingratitude is a problem and a reality, a reality and a problem. So let's begin with the giving of a gift. In, in Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. And he enters this unnamed village somewhere on the border between Galilee in the north and right to the south, Samaria. Now, Jesus at this time has become pretty well known. Not only is he pretty well known for being a teacher with just amazing words, but also the worker of, of miracles. He has not only amazing words, but amazing power. And the word has spread that Jesus is in the vicinity, and as Jesus is entering, again, this unnamed village, there are ten lepers appear, and we're told by Luke that they're keeping their distance, and they ask him for mercy, which is another way of saying, will you show us mercy by healing us? They're asking to be healed. Now, in the fourth book of Torah, which is uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, known as Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus chapter 13, there were regulations about how someone with leprosy, that is, an infectious skin disease, were to live their life. And if you had leprosy or some kind of an infectious skin disease, there were two words that described that life. And those two words are these, perpetual quarantine. Perpetual quarantine. Think back on the quarantine and social distancing we all had to go through and experience through COVID um, a couple of years ago, a couple of years of, of, of quarantine. The lack of, of human contact. You know, just being in people's presence and even the lack of human touch, the isolation, the, the, the shrinking of, of, of our world to a bedroom with a Peloton in it, you know. I, I mean, just our, our, our groceries being delivered on the front porch. It was just a really hard and horrific time. It was just awful. But the one thing that kept us going through that for at least kept a lot of people going, was that this quarantine or this lockdown was going to have a shelf life. At some point, 
with all of the things that happened, you know, medically, you know, there was going to be an end to that quarantine. 2,000 years ago, there was no such thing for a leper. There, was, there wasn't an out. There wasn't an end. True leprosy would only get worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was painful. And at some point, uh, you know, it would lead to death. And it was contagious. Back in the 1990s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, you'll, uh, many of you know, Ellen and I were missionaries in Brazil. And one day, uh, my colleagues, fellow missionaries, were having a meeting in my office, and there's a knock at the door. Door opens, secretary, she says, hey, there's a benevolence case that is, you know, somebody's shown up at the church, they need some help. Um, which one of you want to go? I happen to be the only one wearing a tie that day. And immediately, before she even got the words out of their mouth, my my friends and colleagues said, hey, you do it. You, you're the only one that looks like a missionary today. What that looks like, I don't have a clue, but I haven't worn a tie since. Just saying. <laughs> so I go to the front of the, of the building where this guy is, young man, and as I'm walking up to him, he sticks his hand out to shake hands, and as I reach down and start shaking his hand, I notice that he's missing one or, or, or two fingers. And while we're shaking hands, he goes, don't worry, I have leprosy but it's not contagious. At least I think that's what he said, because when I heard leprosy, I, I don't know if I heard anything after that. It, 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 it's, it's a scary disease. And in Scripture, a leper was considered unclean. You were labeled unclean, untouchable. An unclean life was a miserable life. It was the life of being unwanted. Everywhere they went, they had to advertise their uncleanness in order to give people a, a chance to keep their distance. They had to live in isolation, away from public life, because it was so contagious. You were going to pass, you know, don't come near me because I'm going to pass something bad to you. They had to mess, mess up their hair and, and, and tear their clothing. As they walked and they would come in contact with people who were clean, that did not have leprosy, they had to cover their lower part of their face and yell out, unclean, as a warning. It meant that once you had been designated as somebody, as a leper and unclean, you were not going to have any more contact with, with anyone else in your family. I mean, no more spouse, no more parents, no more children, no more grandchildren. It was perpetual quarantine. Perpetual quarantine. Until you got an official seal of approval from the local priest that you were clean. And Jesus walks into this village, and these ten lepers hear it, and they cry out, verse 13, Jesus, Master, have pity or, or have mercy on us. And Jesus says in the very next verse, verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, I mean, they turn around to do as he says, and as they are going to the priest, they discover that they were cleansed. That the leprosy is gone. All of the signs of their leprosy is, is, is gone. They're now clean. As they are going to the priest, they have been given a gift beyond measure. Their life has been given back to them. Their lives have been changed for the good. 
And as they are going to the priest and they're beginning to discover that they have been healed, what, was ter- you know, what started out as a walk to the priest is, is, is turning into, it become a sprint to the priest. Except for one. Except for one. And it's here that we want to think about the, the recognizing and the acknowledging the giver uh, of the giver attached to the gift. In, in Luke chapter 17, verse 15, one of them... When he saw he was healed, came back. And he's praising God in a loud voice. I mean, can you imagine? You, you know, you, you went from being persona non grata. You, I mean, just you're out. You, you just can't touch anybody clean, your loved ones ever again. You've been living in isolation. It's perpetual quarantine. Socially, you're an outcast. And not only that, you just you have to tell everybody that. And now he's been given this gift, and he's, he's praising God in a loud voice, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanks him. He thanks him. And then Luke tells us, and he was a Samaritan. One comes back to throw himself at the feet of Jesus and to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, oh Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, the other nine are certainly happy. And we're not told why they don't come back. But we might guess that they were eager, you know, after showing themselves to the priest and being given that seal of of being clean again, that they were eager to get back to their families, get back to spouse, get back to parents, get back to family, grandchildren, to get back into society. Perhaps that's why they didn't come back. Or maybe they didn't come back because by this time in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is a marked man. And maybe it's a little frightening with somebody that is marked and everybody hears the rumors that all the religious leaders have said no to Jesus. In fact, some are trying to kill him. In fact, his own disciples, you know, why are we going back to Jerusalem? They're trying to kill you there. Perhaps. But one comes back. One comes back because he recognizes that he has received this unbelievable, indescribable gift. It's literally a life-changing gift. It is the kind of gift that when you receive it, there's just all kinds of humility that just begin to sweep over every part of your being. And this is what's happening to him to the extent that he drops to the ground at the feet of Jesus. He literally throws himself down at Jesus' feet. So overcome by the gift is he. And he just says, thank you, thank you, thank you, O Lord Jesus, O God Almighty, thank you, thank you, thank you. And guess what? He's a Samaritan. One of the commentators on this passage, a writer by the name of Daryl Bach, notes that this is a way of subtly underscoring that the very one the Hebrew folk would have thought of as insensitive to the true ways of God is the only one who recognizes the gift and acknowledges the giver attached to the gift. He comes back and says, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. But there is the problem of ingratitude, 
right? In verse 17, Jesus asks a simple question. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The, the, the Samaritan has come back praising God. Praising God and, and, and thanking Jesus. And Jesus asked, where are the other nine? Now, the other nine have experienced the same healing. The other nine have experienced the same healing. In a manner of speaking, uh, a, a degree of their humanity has, has been restored to them. They're now part of regular society. And, and you know what? With all my heart, I believe that they are thrilled to be healed. Happiest moment of their life. I believe they could not wait to get back to their families. But they have not stopped and considered the one who made their healing. Considered the one who changed their life. The one who made a beautiful future now possible. They have not said, thank you, thank you, thank you, O Lord God Almighty, thank you. Ingratitude is this. Ingratitude is the absence of recognition and acknowledgement for the giver attached to the gift. When you show gratitude, you see the giver of the gift. You acknowledge the actions and the heart and the, 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 the reality of the gift. That it came, not from yourself, not from within you, but came from someone else. And in this ingratitude, you get the sense that something great has just really been diminished. Now, at, at the beginning of the message, we did a gratitude assessment. Maybe you liked your score, maybe you didn't. But here's a little extra credit. On that same scale of one to five, rate this question. I am more like the one than the nine. When it comes to my life, in light of all that God has given me, I'm like the one and not the nine. You know, as we, we wind down, I want to go back to something that Jesus said to the one who came back. Uh, one of the other commentators on this passage writes that Jesus' closing words in this text invite a closer look. He says in verse 19, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. That word rise or stand up or get up in some of the other translations, uh, the word uh, anastas is a word the early disciples of Jesus would have recognized as having to do being connected, you know, as a, you know, the word for resurrection. In this unnamed village on the border of Galilee and Samaria, Jesus has literally given this man a new lease on life. He has literally given this man a new lease on life, having cleansed him 
of his uncleanness. Jesus is returning him to the community that he belongs to. He has turned his life around. This man was dead, metaphorically, but now has been made alive. He has been healed, and now he is restored. And the the Samaritan has recognized that life is at work in Jesus, and that that life has now blessed him with new life. He sees that Jesus is a source of life, having given him a new life. And, and let's, let's, let's end with this little cup. Um, if you have it, you know, just hold it in your hand for a second. Can we all agree, once and for all, that this is some of the worst-tasting bread and worst-tasting grape juice ever. I mean, it is just a gigantic yuck. But can we reframe suffering through the bread that tastes like a a packing peanut and the juice that, that tastes nothing like grapes? Can we reframe this? That in this tiny little bit of suffering, that it becomes a a, a pointer. That it becomes a reminder of an infinitely greater and real suffering of Jesus. The body of Christ that was beaten to a pulp, pummeled into the ground. The blood that, that was spilled, the pain the suffering, the nails that attached Jesus to the cross, the thirst of Jesus in the horrific throes of dehydration, the the forsakenness of Jesus, the forsakenness of Jesus and the death of Jesus that opens wide the door to a new life. Our uncleanness, our sin, has been taken away. It is by His wounds that we have been healed. And we have, through faith, a new life for which to be incredibly grateful. That we have through faith a new life and that one day Jesus is going to say to you and to say to me, rise. Your faith has made you well. And in the meantime, every Lord's Supper becomes a moment where we recognize the gift that we have been given. And we acknowledge the giver attached to the gift. And in that moment of the Lord's Supper, we say, 
thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Let's stand and sing.